Do you want to become a better songwriter? Well, we created a very simple 10-minute songwriter personality test, and it's going to help you better understand who you are as a writer, and it's going to help you in the writer's room when you're writing with other writers, because you're going to be able to identify what kind of writer they are, maybe even have them take the songwriter personality test. If you're curious and you want to take the songwriter personality test today, just visit songwriterpersonalitytest.com or go to the link on the writingworship.co website. Brave Worship, episode 24. You're listening to the Brave Worship podcast with Chrissy Nordhoff and Mary Beth Dodd. Brave Worship is all about encouraging women to write, lead, and live worship. Well, we have a fun, exciting day planned today. Yes, we're so excited to have a guest with us today that um, has come and spoke at spoken at some of our events in the past, and um, you probably have heard lots of her songs, um, including Revelation Song, which is one of my all-time favorite songs. Mm. Um, I'll never forget the first time I heard that song. There was just a shift in my spirit, and I felt like there was something totally different and fresh about that song, and it changed the way I write, for sure. Oh. Um, but anyways, her name is... Jenny Lee Riddle! Hello, ladies. Welcome, good to Jenny. Good to be here. We're so excited mm. you're with us. I'm glad to be here. Hey, I need to tell you, I have walking pneumonia, so I sound like I smoke multiple packs of cigarettes a day. <laughs> I don't. I'm just dumb enough to walk around with pneumonia. <laughs> At least it's walking pneumonia. Yeah, it yeah. could be laying in bed pneumonia. That could <laughs> yeah. be worse. So anyway, I'm here and I feel great, but whatever. Oh, <laughs> you sound good to us. Yeah. <sighs> I love it. Well, I can't wait to hear and have our listeners hear some more of your story. Yeah, anything Jenny. y'all want to know. Happy to tell. So maybe we should start with um, just sort of your... Um, your story a little bit, just kind of how you got started in writing mm-hmm. and um, a little bit about your family and then yeah. share with us kind of where you are now and where the Lord's taken you yep. through the years. We'll, you got it. We'll get through all that. Well, I'm 50, uh, but I began songwriting uh, from what my mom says from the time I began uh, humming. She mm-hmm. said that I was, I began making noise as a toddler humming. And uh, she said I was always singing. And so that naturally developed when I started saying words into singing words. So I don't know that I just ever stopped. I just I just never stopped. Mm. And um, you know how uh, little every little girl dances? There's not a little girl you'll ever meet that doesn't dance. But at some point, she stops. I don't know why. Mm. And I guess nobody ever told me. Uh, you have to be a pro to to do it, or I might not have ever done it. And I probably would have stopped if I thought that was the case. But yeah, just always saying, and um, was not blessed with a good memory. Um, memorization was always super hard for me. And so I would sing all my, all, all, everything I would need to memorize. I just always put it to a melody of some kind, terrible melodies, but they worked nonetheless. And I memorized uh, even like, the, most of the Constitution that I needed to in, in my assignments for that. Um, just all the facts. So uh, when I got saved in 1988, 
it was a really easy thing for me to just continue the habit and everything I would read that I wanted to memorize. Mm-hmm. I'd just sing it. Um, and then from there, uh, and I would always write songs even as a, even before then. Um, I got saved when I was 20. But the need to tell the story in my own language uh, became a very real thing. Mm. And that started honing my songwriting even more still. And then I think what honed it the most of all would be three specific things. And it was um, uh, having children, needing to um, put everything that I wanted to teach them in story form in a song so they could remember it, mm. whether it's you know about brushing their teeth or cleaning their room or being nice to each other, whatever the case may be. I would sing them little songs. Um, that's one. Thing number two is the blessing of being completely broke. Um, songwriting became like a Hallmark card for all my friends and family. I couldn't afford a gift. I'd write them a song. Mm. And uh, who doesn't want a fun little song given to you for your birthday? So that was a big thing. And then the third thing was um, the blessing of being underneath um, a worship leader who was actually really scared of the Holy Spirit, number one. And scared of women, number two. Mm-hmm. And so I wasn't allowed to to actually do anything. My husband was even put uh, on the platform, although he doesn't sing, and I'll tell you to this day he doesn't sing. He was put on the platform as a covering for me. And uh, he was told he needed to start the songs, but then to somehow let me finish them and make it look like he was leading. <laughs> wow. And so, um, That's interesting. And so the Lord... Really, during that time, that was probably the most, oh, the most training ever, because it trained my character, one, and it trained my um, faith, number two, it trained my obedience, number three, Hmm. and it trained my courage, number four, in this way. I had to have the faith that the same God who reduced himself down to seed in the belly of Mary would be the same God if I would if I would submit to all the requirements. He'd be the same God who would still just kind of explode out on the scene um, everywhere I was, and he would. And so, if I would just submit to into the requirements of the time, the clock, the you know being underneath a man just for because it's just a man. Um, if I submitted to all that, the Lord would uh, show up, and He always did. And they wouldn't let me ever say anything from the platform because I was a woman, but they would let me sing. And I had to always, I got to always sing. And so I began in that setting, um, singing out prophecies when I'd look out over people and I'd say I had to sing a special, a piece of special music. Um, I would be able to just in the moment start making stuff up and singing it over the people <laughs> that I would normally want to preach. But I'd sing it, and as long as I didn't sing it in a charismatic sounding way, mm-hmm. I could, you I could kind of, I got away with it. <laughs> and so I had to learn how to spontaneous sing yeah. uh, in structure, in form, wow. in structure, and not in minor. <laughs> and they didn't notice. <laughs> they didn't notice, and it was sheer mm-hmm. prophecy directly to the person that I would see in the moment. Yeah, that's that was the, probably the, and, and that took a lot of courage. Mm. So that was a chief time of training and um it was in that church that revelation song was born 
Wow. Yeah. It was under that. It was under that covering during that season of obedience. Mm. Yeah. It's a big deal. That's amazing. And then, you know, there, I said three things. There's a, there was a fourth thing, too, that really shaped it. I spent seven years in a high school. Well, it was a K through 12 school. But I was dean of student life. And before that, I was dean of character development. So um, uh, I started up the fine arts department that was the worship arm of the fine arts. And, and it was a ton of classes that we taught. But another one that I taught was songwriting. And so, um, and I, I taught it because I thought that that was the best way to get them in scripture hmm. and to memorize scripture. So that was the motivation uh, there. And it was at the same time the Revelation song was written. Like it was all happening at the same time. Anyway, um, I was in the habit of having to edit constantly all of the songs. And so just that and working with the students, all those things combined shaped me. But all of that shaping took place. And um, it was about uh, age almost 40, almost 40. When the Lord called me into music as a vocation and not just a thing that uh, was for my own benefit and the benefit of those around me, but a larger scale, I never saw it coming. Wow. So you didn't want that and that wasn't a goal of yours necessarily? No, never. No, I wrote songs and, you know, I had wanted to do, I'd majored in music. Mm. And my grandmother always told me that I would be the next Barbara Streisand. That's kind of funny. Um, <laughs> and um, what's even more funny is I believed her. Um, I really had it in my heart that I was going to be a singer. I thought that's what I was. Um, but <clears throat> I don't love being in front of people. That would have been a hard thing. Um, the Lord didn't let me go down that track uh, because um, I think – he knew how selfish I was. And I think he, I'm sure he knew how selfish I was. I didn't know I was as selfish as I was. And uh, I didn't know that music was an idol to the degree it was when I was mm-hmm. 20. And I was getting married and very young, very young uh, in the Lord, only about five months old in the Lord. Mm-hmm. And Jesus asked me for my music. He asked me if he could have it. And he let me know that I love it more than I love him sometimes. Mm. And he asked me if he could have it. And I gave it to him. And he took it. And I wasn't allowed to pursue the direction I had been pursuing. But I didn't confuse it with worship. That's different. Mm-hmm. <coughs> I'd never confuse music and worship. Mm. I'm so glad because they're not the same thing. Mm-hmm. And so I was still able to worship him freely as I cleaned my house, and as I did everything I did, I would worship him through it, musically and in my obedience Mm. and the task at hand. And so um, I didn't know that it would be a forever thing. I don't know why I didn't, probably because I knew the story of Ishmael and Isaac. So I kind of somewhere in the back of my head thought I'd get it back. And it wasn't until a decade later that the Lord let me know that this thing was still alive in me. And what brought it out was um, some a little bit of notice, uh, starting to get a little bit of notice at church. And it was awake. Um, it's like it crawled up out of the grave, except it wasn't actually ever dead all the way. I think it just went dormant. Um, 
and the Lord made me deal with it all over again <clears throat> as I began to uh, serve it, and it began to take up time in my brain and time in my in my thought patterns and time in my planning for the future. Um, it began to consume my um, my thoughts. And if anybody's listening that knows what I mean, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, <clears throat> I began to realize that I was causing my husband and my children pain because mm-hmm. I was beginning to make my husband feel like he wasn't enough. And that if I didn't have this other side of my life, uh, the needs uh, accompanying that met, that I was never going to be satisfied, never be happy. Again, he's not enough. And um, I began to see it wear on his morale. Um, even though he he wouldn't show it, uh, he's too he's too grown up for that. He's too much of a mature, amazing human for that. But I still began to cause pain. Um, and the Lord one day just really asked me, Jenny, um, if I told you in the beginning, I, it was it was after I said this to the Lord. I said. I didn't know it was going to cost me this much. Mm. And he just reasoned with me and said, Jenny, um, if you had a choice to make between your husband or your music, if you had to do it all over again, what would you choose? I said, well, my husband. And he said, well, choose him now. Mm. And so that day I died for real. That day it died. Mm. I chose my husband, chose my family. I'd, I'd been choosing them all along. But something died that day that went silent, <clears throat> and um, that's the real that's the real blessing of letting go of what the Lord asks you to let go of. You know, we don't always get Isaac back up off the altar, mm. um, but when a thing is dead, it no longer calls your name. When a thing's done, there's a blessed peace and a blessed quiet that goes along with it. Mm. I entered into this sweet contentment that uh, I'd never known, ever. And when you're when you're dead, you have no knowledge of even that, right? Mm. You don't have a knowledge of being dead. It's just quiet. It's beautiful quiet. And so, if and when the Lord brings resurrection, I don't know that you care. If you find yourself alive, you're not even. Uh, Comparing it to the peace of death or the turmoil of flesh prior. Hmm. It's a brand new thing. It's a brand new grace. It's from glory to glory that the Lord brings us, from faith to faith. Hmm. So I wasn't expecting what the Lord did uh, when he began to birth in me um, songwriting as a real thing. I didn't know that lived in me like it does. Hmm. I thought I was going to be a singer. Had no idea. The Lord knew. And that's probably a word for somebody. Our, the words over the course of our life that people speak over us and the, the times we risk. No, not risk. That's not the right word. When we allow other people um, to become our standard, uh, when we become jealous, envious, any of those things, those begin, those things can falsely shape you into something you were never meant to be. And heaven forbid we become something we were never meant to be. I heard Jason Upton say that once. I've never forgotten it. He's right. So once I was dead, I was allowed to begin to live. The Lord called me out to live and to live to the full. It's 
it's for freedom that he sets us free. And so um, <clears throat> my songwriting and everything in my life began to take on a different shape. And I was just so grateful to get to be a part of the body of Christ. That was a new thing. Just grateful to get to be a part mm-hmm. versus having to be the thing. That was always that was always a piece of um, of the former life. I mean, I'd always been taught if you can't do it right, don't do it at all. And somehow that became a real perfectionistic thing. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so all of that had to die, and the Lord did it. And it wasn't until uh, all of that took place that He began to move me into um, what I'm living in now. But even that. Even getting called into that started to work on other areas in my life I didn't know were a big deal. So when it was finally time for him to call me into um, songwriting as a vocation, um, he got to my fear and pride. I didn't even know it existed. And I was 38 years old, ladies, Mm -hmm. 38 years old. So you talk about starting like puberty all over again. Um, something about turning middle age is, is in today's culture so terrifying for women, and you can see your body changing all over again, and you can see everything changing. I was terrified of going out there amongst skinny jeans, spiky-headed kids, you know. <clears throat> and it so rocked me with pride and fear. It was just a double-edged sword, my pride and my fear. I um, went through two years of of actually disobeying the Lord <clears throat> I'm sorry about the walking pneumonia. I'm coughing in y'all's ears. I went through two years of disobeying the Lord uh, in fear of not wanting to go out and and uh, present my music or or meet people <clears throat> or teach. Um, and it's because I felt like I couldn't uh, measure up. Um, and I felt too old. So that was a whole nother process that the Lord had to work through. Why am I telling you all this? It's because God really cares an awful lot about the conforming us to his image. And that never stops. And it, it <clears throat> it's going to be all the way until the day of Christ Jesus. And so if there's time for him to continue to conform us, there's time for us to continue to grow and change. There's no way you can grow and change if you're not willing to allow pruning and that time of what that seems like death, those dormant seasons where there's nothing happening in your life. Mm-hmm. Those times are so important. That that seed time where you're just laying there in the ground <clears throat> lifeless. Um that's what it feels like sometimes anyway. And I just want to give encouragement to anybody that's in that kind of a spot right now, because Mm -hmm. those seasons will absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt, produce an abundant harvest later when it's Mm -hmm. time. And the best thing you can do when you find yourself in that dormant, quiet season is to do what you're there for. Just rest. Mm -hmm. Gather strength. Just literally be Mm -hmm. and rest and have faith for the season. Have faith for the moment. Mm -hmm. Have faith for what you're in, because on the other side, it'll bear the fruit. Mm-hmm. And it'll be more than you could imagine. It'll be different than what you expected. So when the Lord um, really healed me of uh, the, the that season I told you about, the two years of disobedience, fear, and pride, um, I'll tell you how. 
I because I didn't and I had actually with all of my heart I can say this, I had not purposefully disobeyed the Lord since I'd gotten saved in a in a rebellious, purposeful way. And so I was deep into my relationship with the Lord when that two year period hit and I actively disobeyed and I knew I was disobeying and I did it anyway. Um, I flatly said, no, I'm not. Um, I would have phone calls asking me to come appear at whatever thing. This is after Revelation song came out, first two years. And um, I would say, no, I'm sorry, I don't do that. No, to hang up the phone. Um, I'll never forget being at Gateway Church. My husband had dropped me off. And it was uh, Lyndall Cooley was there. Carrie Job was there. Um, Paul Balash was there. Um, all these people from Integrity were there. Uh, Craig Dunnigan was there. Walker Beach, Zach Nees, he wrote the more ICQ. All these people were there. Um, and Carrie had walked me back to a green room um, to just sit and chill. I was not there for any reason other than to just be there. And I was wearing, I think if I recall, a denim jumper. I was a homeschool mom, totally. And um, I think she thought I looked awkward, and she was kind enough to say, would you like to go sit back in the drink, in the green room? I didn't know there was such a thing. She set me back in the green room, and it was quiet, and I was very grateful just to have a moment because um, I was super overwhelmed. And uh, there was this woman in there <clears throat> who saw me and came over to me and introduced herself. She says, hi, I'm Leanne Albrecht. And uh, she was a she is an integrity uh, former singer who uh, most of you would know from former worship albums. She's amazing. Anyway, she said, hi, I'm Leanne Albrecht. What's your name? Told her my name. And um, she asked me if I sang. And I said, um, yeah, I do. And um, she said, do you sing harmony? And I said, yes, I do. And uh, she asked me uh, if I wanted to sing on the next set with her. And I said, no, I don't. Thank you, but no. And she said, why? And I said, no, I don't do that. And she said, mm, you just said you sang. <laughs> and I said, yeah, but I don't do that. And she said, well, I think you should. And I said, no, I don't do that. And she said, uh, you're going to do that. And I said, no, I'm not going to do that. And we had this little real battle of the wills. Mm -hmm. And she said, uh, you need to do that. So, yes, you are. And <laughs> oh, I'm going to uh, look at you and call your name. And you're going to come up. She was very stern about it. And um, <clears throat> so the next session gets there. And I'm in the hiding in the back by a pillar in the very back of the room. And she starts looking around. I can tell she's looking for me. And she says, um, is Janelle here? She said my name wrong. So I didn't answer her. And um, <laughs> she looked straight at me. And uh, uh, and then she she kept looking around the room a little bit. And then she her eyes caught me again. And she said my name again, except wrong. Janelle. And I still did not answer her because she did not say my name right. And um, <clears throat> I was being so rebellious. Anyway, uh, finally, uh, she pointed or something. Anyway, the, it felt like the whole room turned around and looked in my direction. It probably wasn't, but it felt like it. And um, somebody out there said, that's Jenny. And she looked funny at them and then um, said, okay, Jenny. And so I'm fixing to run out the back of the door. And the Lord just like puts his foot down. He says, are you going to continue to obey me? Or are you going to obey pride and fear? Mm. 
So I make the very long walk up to the platform. I don't know what I'm in for. And the whole time up there, I'm ready to die a thousand deaths. <laughs> and I'm telling the Lord, I don't, I can't, I don't know any songs right now. I know, I know, Lord, I give you my heart and um, uh, I will worship. That's all I can think of. <clears throat> and that's all I know right now. Cause I'd stopped. I was, I was in such a state. I'd stopped mm. even singing period. So I'd, I'd stopped. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had convinced in my head I was too old to sing, too old to do anything. Mm-hmm. I was convinced at age 38. 38. Yes. Okay. I was convinced I was too old to do anything. I called myself old all the time. I called myself fat and frumpy and 40 mm-hmm. and I called myself all kinds of names. Rita Springer saw me do that. She called me on it, too. I love that woman. Mm-hmm. Um, she told me I wore it. She was right. Anyway, um, I get up on the platform after fussing at the Lord the whole way down and telling him how I only know these two songs, and there were two songs on the podium. Lord, I give you my heart, and I will worship. <laughs> They were both right there. The two you said. No The two I said. They were both sitting there. And so I'm like, okay, I get it. And I remember hanging my head down and uh, and repenting and telling the Lord, I'm so sorry. Mm. And I will obey you. I will obey. And as I'm sitting there praying, I hear Leanne's words filter through my prayers. And it went something like this. Are there any more audience volunteers? And I died. There went my pride. Oh, my gosh. You mean I'm on a platform where there's volunteers, supposedly, that have raised their hand saying, pick me, pick me, pick me, and I'm up here as one of those? My pride just died a thousand deaths. (laughs) Because as she was saying, are there any more audience volunteers? In walks all those people. Paul... Craig, all of the integrity people, all these people walk in at the moment that she's saying, are there any more audience volunteers? And all I could think of was, oh, my gosh, they're going to think I sat there and raised my hand and said, pick me, pick me, pick me. And I don't know. I mean, it shouldn't have been that embarrassing, but it was mortifying to me. That should tell you a ton. It was utterly mortifying to me. Shouldn't have been. Shouldn't have been. They weren't thinking anything. I can't imagine they were thinking a thing. So that much fear of man, that much pride, that much ego, that much need to impress, all that stuff on the platform right there in front of everybody had to die. Mm. Well, I literally was mortified. And I, again, hung my head and I said, Lord, I see it. It, I get it. I will, I will obey you. You can send me anywhere you want. I'll do whatever you say. I will obey. I don't care what it costs. I am standing up here, fat, 40, frumpy, in a homeschool dress. There are all those industry people here. I do not know what I'm doing. This is happening. And okay. Okay. So when I say that I didn't put myself there, I didn't put myself there. Mm-hmm. Mother, oh, Mother Teresa said, I don't care if I live in a cardboard box or a mansion as long as I didn't put myself there. And the only time in my career that I absolutely did attempt to put myself somewhere, it backfired. Mm-hmm. And I felt real spanked still over it. 
So I tell you all of that um, just to let you know that God was just starting what I'm walking into uh, at a very late age. Mm-hmm. He has required me at a very late age to continue to learn and to continue to grow and continue to move and continue to trust and to continue to obey. He renews your strength like the eagles in your youth, right? Yes, but I'm secretly laughing over here because you're saying a very late age. Mm-hmm. And I just picture us having you back on here when you're like 90 and we're talking about Remember that last podcast when you said you were very late age? Mm-hmm. I just and like that she said she felt spanked. <laughs> Seriously. That's good. Yes. Seriously. Good description. <laughs> Seriously. And so he doesn't stop. Um, and it's good. And I'm, I am 50 and I am more free, more whole more home, more happy than I've ever been. I think my I think I'm more agile. I think I'm more nimble minded. And I mean, I don't know. There's so much more. And uh, you know, they always say youth is wasted on the young. I always, I only wish I knew then, kind of what I know now. I still wish I had a 20 year old body. That'd be awesome. But you know, um, it's. I just want to encourage everybody that there's not an end uh, to your ministry in the Lord, to your walk with the Lord, to your to growing. You never stop. You don't stop. Mm-hmm. Every decade has its own uh, unique challenges, uh, at least so far that I can tell. I don't know what it's like to be 60 because I'm not there yet, but I know what it's like to be the others, and I know I know the challenges that kind of go with them. Can you share a little bit, because I know we were talking before – we kind of got things rolling tonight just about, um, you know, I was sharing with you some of what I'd been feeling being in the 40s. And you said you could kind of pinpoint mm-hmm. all those feelings and what comes with those mm-hmm. decades. And um, I just feel like even just as women in the music industry, there's certain parameters that are put around you, mm-hmm. um, even from the, you know, industry from the church. I mean, some of those things you were talking about. Um, But I've experienced similar things. And, um, you know, I was told that I was too old the first time at age 30, which Mm. now I'm like, oh, I wish I, you know, wish I would have known even then what I feel now. Mm. Um, But I know your perspective um, is great over those few things, those few decades, especially Mm -hmm. 20s, 30s. Mm Mm-hmm. 40s. What do you think? You know, you spend, you know, a 10-year-old is thinking about themselves and about what they're going to be one day. It just kind of starts and they begin to think completely about themselves, very self-absorbed, and then about what they're going to be and about growing up. You get to 20s and all you're thinking about is, I finally did it. I'm all grown up now. And then you feel like the dog who caught the tire because now you don't know what you're doing with the life you've wanted to have for the past decade. Your 20s are a lot of fun, but nowadays um, uh, your 20s are also still very young. Um, I don't. How old are you? I don't forget. 37. You're 37 and you're, you're how old? 43. You're 43. Um, so used to, and it's just true. We were pretty grown up at 18. You know, we had to get out of the house. It, just, it was just the way it was. 
And nowadays it's not quite the same. Um, um, people stay younger, longer mm -hmm. in a way. They mm -hmm. enjoy, they've enjoyed their childhood. Mm -hmm. And they don't really want it to quite end. And so you've got this real, really weird um, mixture in your 20s of I don't know what I am. Am I a kid or am I an adult? Mm. And you give yourself um, a fleshy license to be whichever one's the most convenient that day. Mm. And so it's hard for people to follow people in their 20s mm -hmm. because they know how changeable they are. They're mood-based. And so... Um, that's those of you in your twenties don't take that as a as a terrible bad thing. It's just that uh, the older people, went, people who've walked a little longer, have a hard time have a hard time uh, believing you won't change your mind tomorrow. It just happens. Mm -hmm. And so, if you're in your twenties and you're leading, you're gonna really want to ask the Lord for consistency. Mm -hmm. That's one thing. But then, the, probably even a bigger thing is to make sure you're letting your yes be yes and your no be no from mm -hmm. a leadership standpoint. And then an even bigger thing than letting your yes be yes and your no be no is making sure that you're speaking uh, wisely about what you're going to do. Mm -hmm. And uh, make sure you choose your hills to die very carefully, very, very carefully. Pick your battles um, because you need to, in integrity, hold yourself to what you say. Mm -hmm. For the people around you, if you're ever going to gain trust, I think that mm -hmm. that decade's all about um, um, deciding who you're going to be for real and being it, sticking to your word. Mm -hmm. tough. Yeah. It's tough. 30s, you've kind of begun to realize that you've you've begun to realize. Okay, the adulting thing, it's uh, not going to go away. <laughs> it's here to stay. <laughs> I need to go ahead and just, you know breathe it in and embrace it. And there's also a, a settledness a little bit that comes with your 30s. You're very strong in your 30s, mm -hmm. super strong. You're not as changeable. You've you've recognized time actually does happen. It's happening daily mm -hmm. and you better get on with life. Yeah. <clears throat> and so um, you're able to bear a lot. And about your mid-30s, you start taking on an awful lot of responsibility, even mm -hmm. even more so. And you're, you become the bridge between the younger generation. And by 30s nowadays, you've got two generations underneath you, mm -hmm. or three even, whereas that used to not feel that way. Mm -hmm. But it feels like a whole generation changes over within five years now. It yeah. really does, mm -hmm. if not even sooner than that. So around 35, you begin to take on so, so much, and you're a bridge between the older generation and the younger generation. Everybody's depending on you. You've got the strength. You've got the wits. You've, you're educated now. You've saved up some money. You've, you've, done, all, you've done all the firsts. You've gotten used to it, and you're kind of hitting your stride. 30s are fun. They're really great. And then you start getting to about 39, and you go, holy crap, I'm fixing to be 40. What happened? <laughs> and... uh 39 for me was a really tough year. I don't know if it was for you. 39 for me was tough. Turning 40 wasn't. I think I'd spent all the, all the weirdness of turning 40 uh, sooner. Um, but uh, once you turn 40, a, a different thing happens. Um, you're still real strong, and you're still looked to to do all the work, for sure. You're looked to to do all the actual work. Mm -hmm. But this awkwardness hits you. I think it's the enemy. 
And I think it's our culture. It's our culture and the enemy pouncing on it is what it is. Um, and you suddenly feel like you're in puberty all over again emotionally. Mm. You feel awkward and everything starts to change again. Your skin changes. Mm-hmm. Your hair's changing. Uh, your weight's changing. Your hormones are changing. Mm-hmm. Everything's changing. And it's just awkward. And you've got every billboard screaming at you that you are now old and, oh, you better beat back the clock. You better... Here's this magic pill. Here's this magic potion. Here's this magic anything you can grab at to keep you still looking like you're 20. Mm. And then begins the decade-long battle to somehow pretend you're not aging. Mm. And it's a lie. And that I would like to propose that that right there, if you were able to silence that right there, you would reclaim probably... 50% of your life. <laughs> wow. If you could just hush that. Because the women I I spend time with, without exception, they're talking about their appearance in some way. Mm. They're talking about their youth in some way. They're talking about getting older in some way. It'll come up in every conversation. Just listen for it. Listen, listen to your own words. Listen to yourself. Mm. I'd love to see that just completely silenced. We can just embrace the fact that we're still growing and we're still moving ahead and there's still a whole entire life to live all the way till Jesus comes. Mm. Um, I think we'd get so much more done. Mm. The distraction of trying to hang on to youth is unbiblical. I don't see it anywhere in the Bible. Mm. What was that quote you said um, before we got started about um, trying to stay young. I have no idea. It looks ugly or something. Oh, that's said. not a quote. I just said it. Okay. It just looks ugly. Like trying yeah. to hang on. Mm-hmm. You, it, it just, it does. It just looks ugly. You can mm-hmm. start to tell, you know, you're really, hey, sweetheart, you're really fighting it. <laughs> <laughs> and it's winning. <laughs> so... <laughs> So oh, it'd be it'd be better just to wash your face and and just put a smile on. <laughs> <laughs> Never fully dressed. Oh my gosh! That's so funny. yeah, that's so true. I mean, it is so true. So, how do you think? What is the best way to go about fighting that? I honestly think it's embracing the Lord and His wisdom. Mm. I really do. Breathe it in and just say, you know what? This this body is a tent. Yeah. It doesn't define me. I'm going to be really thankful for my tent. It's going to get me to the other side. It needs to last until Jesus comes. I'm going to take the best care of it. I know how. But um, I'm going to use it. It's not going to use me. Yeah. And a lot of times, like, another thing that will run through my head is... Um, just being thankful for the babies that were birthed out of my body. Yeah, absolutely. Because I know, you know, things would be different or whatever. I don't know. The hormone changes, all that stuff. Um, But I'm so, if I had the choice, you know, um, between my pre-baby body and now, I would a hundred times... A million times over, choose my babies, you know, and yep. just being thankful for the sacrifice that my body made in order to give me those three babies. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
It's just an earthly vehicle. Mm. Take as good a care of it as you can, but you don't idolize your car. That's so good. Vehicle. (laughs) It's just your earthly vehicle that keeps you going. Yeah. And, And yes, you take care of it, but again, it cannot, it doesn't consume you. Does your car consume you? Or does it just take you where you want it to go? It's hmm. good. Yeah, that is good. So good. So, I don't know how we got on that topic. And then 50 is awesome. Okay, so 50. All right, so 40s are spent kind of realizing, wait a second, I really, I've cro- I even even crossed the hump because this is technically, this is technically middle age at 40 if I live to be 80. Which I'm assuming I'm going to live to, be, live to be 80, but now 45, and I'm going to live to be 90. Wow, I'm going to live to be. So the older you get, the longer you have to live to stay middle aged. <laughs> 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 so um, I'm 50. If I live to be 100, if I live to be 100, I'm now middle aged still, you see. Right. But I better take really great care of myself if I'm going to live to be 100. Everything's changing. Um, when I got, when, when 50 began to approach, um, I was wondering how that would feel. And I was asking the Lord about it. You know, what is this going to be like turning 50? Because these decades, I don't know why we mark things in decades, but it's, it's a decade. It has a word attached to it, a decade. So that's a big deal. And I want to celebrate 50 well. And I asked the Lord to give me a present. Um, I didn't know what that would be. I didn't know if it was a special song. I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know what it'd be. Had no idea, but I asked him to give me a present. He did, and it came in a package of uh, this one phrase that sums up the whole thing. And it's, "I just freaking don't care." <laughs> it was a blessed anointing of "I don't care," wow. like whatever. God just broke off. I think the remaining dregs of fear of man. Hmm. Comparison, mm-hmm. worry. It's just gone. Like it's gone. I it's gone. I don't even have to try. It's just gone. Mm. Was it literally on your birthday? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah, it's you just it's just gone. Like, it's I'm gone. Different. It I've never felt you know, how does if people say, how's it feel turning 40? Oh, it feels like it felt yesterday. This time was different. It didn't feel like yesterday. It was gone. It's wow. gone. It's stayed gone. It's just gone. I am free. And I'm faster and more agile. And I laugh more. Probably because you got all that stuff out of you. I laugh more. I laugh a lot now. Mm. I enjoy my life so much. <laughs> I can't I wait like to get it. 50 oh, I like it oh and you know what the, um, well here's the deal he also it was it was um, Thanksgiving it was the day after Thanksgiving um, exactly so this November will be two years ago so it was the Thanksgiving before I turned 50 is that right am I thinking it right yep so it was the Thanksgiving before I turned 50 felt like the Lord said Jenny just be your age go ahead I'd been dyeing my hair since I was, oh, probably about 28. Um, 
And it started just, you know, because I wanted it shiny or wanted it, you know, slightly different color, whatever. But um, it's a it's a health burden on you to dye your hair as much as I was dyeing my hair because it began to be almost every three weeks that I was needing to dye it to keep my roots covered. Mm-hmm. And um, over time, that's a lot of toxins, and it was mm-hmm. it was wearing on my body and your pocketbook. It's not cheap, and it takes right. a lot of time. And uh, I just felt like the Lord was really pressing on me to stop dyeing my hair, and so. I'm pretty all or nothing. Uh, I made the decision. Okay, cool. All the unicorn hairs in style right now. I think I'll just go unicorn. And so I went to the hairdresser and I said, please take all the color off my hair. I didn't research. I should have Googled. I didn't Google. Um, Please take all the color off your hair. She says, well, that's really harsh on your hair. We don't generally do it all at once. And I, I said, yeah, I'm really in a hurry, though. I just need you to get it all. (laughs) <laughs> oh no and so um she bleached all the color out and bleached it and bleached it and bleached it and it became a texture i don't even understand um, <laughs> and uh it became a color that never really quite reached uh gray it reached something more like just hideous uh blonde that's not a real blonde and so, uh, and then we colored it in purple, and so then it became kind of this weird silver. And those of you who have done it, y'all know what I mean. Um, and then, and then commenced with the whole having to keep it the same color by constantly avoiding anything with extra color in it and purple shampoo. And then it began breaking, and it mm. broke, and it broke, and it broke, and it broke. And so, I went overnight from having hair that was almost to my elbows. <laughs> Almost to my elbows, it was dark and shiny, and I liked it. To um, broken off unicorn weird hair, <laughs> and I, I stared at myself in the mirror, and I thought, "Well, I did it." And I'm just, I just, I remember, I remember having to stand there and get used to the side of myself, and actually make the decision to not uh, hate what I was seeing in the mirror and actually just breathe in what I looked like. And um, over time, I got used to that, and I started really looking forward to my gray hair growing out on its own. So here I am two years later, almost two years later. In November, it'll be two years. Mm -hmm. And it's back down to, you know, this length. It's about a little longer than my shoulders. And it's salt and pepper Mm -hmm. and very, very white. So it's salt and pepper gray and then very, very white in spots. It's so pretty, though. Uh, I've gotten used to it, and so it's easy. I wash it. I blow it dry. I get a Brazilian blowout so it stays not looking like Albert Einstein. And um, I just rock it. Whatever. I'm just going to go with it. I've saved so much time and so much money, and I'm doing it un- unashamedly. I'm just going to awesome. be my age. God gave me gray hair at a very young age. I should have kept it and enjoyed it. He tried to call me wise a long time ago, and I actually ended up being a total fool. Mm. I chose foolishness over Mm. wisdom. So for me, this has been a a real freeing time. Um, Some people might go, yeah, you shouldn't be so free. Consider the color again. But no, I really enjoy it, and I enjoy – I'm enjoying my life a lot. That's awesome. Um, Can you tell us – too, I want to make sure everybody knows about what you're doing right now. Like, yeah, um, where you are and and the ministry that you do. Yeah, 
because um, it's all brand new within the last year? Well, it's not brand new. It's what we've done. Darren and I have been married. Um, we're in our 29th year. Mm-hmm. And um, he's a godsend. That man's amazing. Um the Lord gave us vision for what we're walking into right now back in 1988. Mm. And uh, it was a promise that uh, blazoned itself on our spirit so thoroughly we couldn't get it out of our eyes. And every time we'd try to, uh, we would lose sight, lose vision mm. altogether. I never asked for the songwriting career, didn't ask for all the stuff that's happened. We've asked for this, what we're walking into now, and we've been practicing for it all these years. Mm-hmm. So in the 29 years we've been married, there's only been three of those years that we have uh, spent just together as a family without other people living with us. We have always had people live with us. <clears throat> well, now um, the Lord has given us... Um, a basically, I don't know how even to say it. Um, he's given us a 30,000 square foot. Get that in your head. 30,000 square foot historical mansion. that was built in 1888. Uh, it has 24 suites. It has 31 bathrooms, ladies, 31 bathrooms. Clean that. Clean that. Has 31 bathrooms. It's um, three stories plus a basement. Um, It's on 3.2 acres. And uh, it's a complete miracle. It sits in the middle of the historic district. It was beautifully maintained all these many years by uh, landscapers and maintenance men and cooks and maids. And um, it was an active working home for widows up until two weeks before we bought it. Mm. That's all it had been for 128 years. This woman named a woman named Ruth C. Sabin back in 1888 had the backbone and the gumption to take all of her husband's inheritance, I mean all of the wealth that she had inherited, at 88 years of age Mm. and build a giant home for widows. Because she decided so being a will, she decided being a widow kind of was a bummer, and she thought it would be better in community. I love that. Isn't that amazing? Mm-hmm. So that's what it was for all those many years, and those widows would bring bring it all and leave it all. That was kind of her motto: "You can come, but if you're going to come, bring it all and leave it all." And um, and so they would uh, move in, and most of them, because they were living in community. Uh, lived to be over 100. They would move in as early as 60. They had to be 60 years of age to move in. And they had to be in perfect health because there's all those stairs. And uh, most of them lived there over 100. Most of them lived there over 40 years. Wow. Isn't that incredible? That's That's so cool. Yeah. So the endowment that Ruth Sabin had put in place uh, back in 1888 had sustained the home all those years. And it finally ran out about two wow. weeks before we found it. And um, the Lord delivered it into our hands so amazingly. Um, it uh, cost us nothing like it should have. Um, we had been asking the Lord for three years to take every penny and mm-hmm. um, show us how to sow it so that every single penny we spent, we spent it in faith, in wisdom and in faith, doing with every penny what the Lord would ask and asking him for a hundredfold return with every penny we spent. 
And so um, basically the way we got it was um, he, the Lord asked us to um, stage both of our homes. We had my writing cottage in mm-hmm. Nashville mm-hmm. and our Texas home. Uh, that we'd raised our family and grandparents in. And he asked us to clean up both of them and stage them and get them ready for sale. Well, actually, we didn't even know if we were going to sell them. Just stage them. And so we did. And we lived basically out of suitcases for three and a half years, not knowing if we were selling, not knowing what we were doing next, but feeling like we were living kind of on a tarmac. Mm -hmm. Not sure. Bouncing between the houses. And um, when the Lord asked us to sell them, we were able to sell them immediately because we'd been living them in, the sta- in them staged. And we sold them to the people who came on the first day. And wow. both of them sold for the price that was kind of a, a miraculous price. Um, the one in Nashville sold for way over. The one in Texas should have sold for $200,000 more than we asked for it. The Lord asked us to bend to the people that wanted it, to the degree that we wanted him to bend towards us. Mm. He gave us faith for it. Bend towards them to the degree that you want me to bend towards you. Wow. So in faith we did. We took the equity of both of those houses, and it was the equity of both of those houses and the money that we had saved up all the years, which wasn't much. We only saved up $30,000 of our own towards Mm. this. We would have saved up more uh, had we probably been more proactive. But um, we had the equity from both of the houses and the $30,000. And um, the Lord uh, put us in the position with that house of needing to trust Him completely to give all of it to Him. All of it. And I didn't want to do that. I wanted a loan for the house. I kept trying to find a loan. And we had great credit and all, but the house itself wouldn't take a, it wouldn't take an FHA loan. It wouldn't take a VA loan. It wouldn't take a conventional loan because it's not conventional. It wouldn't even take a nonconforming loan. And the Lord kept saying, Jenny, do you really want to fall into hands of debt? Or do you want to fall into my hands? You really trust debt more than you trust me. So it took all of my courage. I could see, and normally when doors shut, like all those loans shut, you would say, doors are shutting. This was different. I could see the Lord out on the water saying, come on. You've been asking me, Jenny, you've been asking me how all these other people do the big things they're doing. How do they get from where you are to where they are? This is how. Step out of the boat. Come on. Come to me. Do it. It took all of our faith, not my husband. He he actually had faith for it totally. He was waiting for me to catch up to speed. Um, we uh, placed an offer that took everything we had, and they accepted it. And the house itself is valued at multi-million dollar house. Mm. And we were able to purchase it for the equity purely out of both of those homes. Wow. In cash. Entirely. And it included a brand new roof and a huge skylight and the antiques that came with it. And um, it's a complete miracle because in that act of obedience, it wasn't until we had already done it that it occurred to us that in that act of obedience, we were delivered of all debt. We no longer have two mortgages. Wow. I know. Think about it. We also have the original deed. She wrote, Ruth Saban wrote in her own handwriting in 1888. 
it's never been to a bank. It came straight to us. Wow. Well, so the dream was never a mansion. That's not what we asked the Lord for either. So I'm just letting you know that's still something we didn't even ask for. Um, we we took it because literally when we walked into it, I felt like I'd walked into my own surprise party. It was literally like <laughs> the cloud of witnesses were standing there waiting to yell surprise. Hmm. It was so glorious. And six weeks later, by the way, we were in the house. We had moved four and a half semi-truck loads oh my there. We were, we were in. It's crazy. Wow. But that's still not what I asked for. What we asked for was a place in a place uh, that would be the perfect training, sending, receiving ground for missionaries mm. who would use hospitality, community service, and music to preach the gospel and make disciples. We'd ask for a place. And um, the place would serve also as a hub for these musicianaries, is what I've always called them all these many years, mm-hmm. um, for their families to have sabbaticals and their families to be able to um, have a life while they travel. Because so often uh, musicians and artists are gone away from their family, yeah. away from their people. And so often the spouses feel so alone and mm-hmm. not in community. And um, how many lawnmowers do you really need anyway? And how many, how many, if everybody has everything themselves, I don't know. How many dishwashers? How many, how many laundry machines do you really need? If you're able to live in community, you wouldn't need all that much. So it's not a commune, but uh, it is a very large community. Um, and we're used to it. We've had so many people live with us over the years. Mm. So it's easy for us. So we just have continued doing there what we've always done. Mm. And it has been the biggest godsend. We're able to, um, because of Emerging Sound, that's mm-hmm. where we have, that's our camp, right? Um, we have kids that come and live with us out of Emerging Sound, and they're the missionaries there in Laporte. And we're watching God um, move on a city. We're so enjoying getting to go into the different churches on Sunday mornings mm-hmm. and uh, learn the language. All the students are learning the language of the different denominations and different generations. I love, I love our little town. It's beautiful. It's right outside of uh, Chicago, 51 miles out, and it's Mm -hmm. 30 minutes away from uh, Lake Michigan. Love our little town. It is such a purest little town. Mm. Um, You get to see the denominations in their purest old school form. Um, It's it's like living in, uh, I don't know, it's like you've stepped totally back in time. Yeah. Totally that culturally, it's amazing. That. I love all the architecture, but I really love the culture of the people. Mm. And so we've been able to enjoy. You know, we serve in about two to five every Sunday morning, different mm-hmm. churches of different denominations. Um, the Ministerial Alliance meets at our house, and um, we open up in the evenings and help do these um, community events that allow the community to come into the different houses of worship called God Spot Nows. Those are fun. Anyway, and then we have all kinds of rider retreats at our place and different artists coming through. So it's just this big hub um, and training ground and sabbatical house. Love it. It's been a blast. Mm, it's so amazing. So that that's, is. yeah. Um, if people want to learn more about what you do and, and um, like websites and are there places they can connect with you? Yes, there are. They're not well up to date, but yes, there are. You can go check out peopleandsongs.com. That's our community of artists. Um, the emerging sound.com is our camp. 
um, and we take uh, students ages 13 through 18 and also interns uh, up to age 28. Um, and then me, I'm Jenny. Uh, you can do JennyRiddle.com. That's another way. Um, and then we're having a giant festival uh, in our town. Really excited about it. We're trying to breathe life into the saints there in Laporte and then just also open up our arms to the to those who want to come spend time with us, turnupthelights.org on November 11th. Um, yeah, all those places. That's awesome. Awesome. So cool. Mm-hmm. Well, Jenny, thank you so much it's for joining us today and for just the honesty and insight and um, just encouragement it's been that fun. you gave. And um, we're so thankful. Glad to be here. Just hearing your story and how the Lord has worked in your life. It's so encouraging for everyone to hear, I'm sure. So, yes. It is for us. For sure. It's awesome. Bless you guys. Thanks for letting me on. Absolutely. All right, guys. Join us at braveworship.com or on Facebook, Brave Worship. Have a great day. You've been listening to the Brave Worship Podcast with Dove Award winning songwriter Chrissy Nordhoff and worship leader and music pastor, Mary Beth Dodd. Visit braveworship.com forward slash free song and sign up for the email list to get updates on all the latest Brave Worship events, conferences, and retreats. Plus, get free songs to use in your next worship service, complete with chord chart and track. Also, find out how you can join Chrissy and Mary Beth in person at the next Brave Worship Conference. Simply visit braveworship.com forward slash conference to learn more. The times I've grown most as a songwriter are the times I've had mentors showing me the way. If you're looking to grow as a songwriter, we're now accepting applications for our Worship Songwriter Mentorship. Now, it's available only a few times each year. The Worship Songwriter Mentorship is a songwriting intensive that will help you craft impactful worship songs. It's a course created by Dove Award-winning and Grammy-nominated, drumroll here please, (laughs) our founder, pro songwriter Chrissy Nordoff. It's a small group community, and it's led by other songwriters over the course of nine weeks. It's an intensive course and a small group co-writing environment, and that means you'll be added to a special group of about 12 writers, give or take. Each group is led by experienced songwriters, some of them my dear, dear friends, and I've even gotten to lead a group or two. Rachel here, by the way. We love the church, and we love to champion fellow worship songwriters just like yourself. In this mentorship, you'll learn how to write songs for you and your congregation, You'll go deeper in your intimacy with Jesus. You'll get the tools needed to help craft songs more easily and never run out of creative ideas. Okay, I know it sounds too good to be true, but trust me, this course is a game changer. You'll learn how to leverage your unique songwriting personality and connect with other like-minded writers in a meaningful way. Truly, I can't think of another course, group of people, community that has impacted my songwriting the way that this mentorship has. If you're wanting to take the next steps in your songwriting journey, then apply now at the link in our show notes. We hope to see you there.